the following recording is for Somnia YouTube with the Atlantic Council of the U.S. on Monday, June 8, 2015 at 8 o'clock a.m. Central Time. Excuse me, everyone. We now have all speakers in conference. Please be aware that each of your lines are in a listen-only mode. At the conclusion of today's presentation, we will open the floor for questions. At that time, instructions will be given as to the procedure to follow if you would like to ask a question. I would now like to turn the conference over to Samia Yuku. Ms. Yuku, you may begin. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we have with us today um, Ambassador Frank Riccardoni. Uh, he is a Vice President and Director here at the Atlantic Council and former U.S. Ambassador uh, to Turkey, uh, as well as Aaron Stein, who is one of our frequent contributors uh, our blog, Nina Source, a Turkey uh, specialist in his own right. And uh, we're happy to have them both here to talk about the elections uh, in Turkey. Um, I'd like to just give you some ground rules here. Everything discussed on the call is on the record. Um, we'll start with 15 minutes of opening remarks and 15 minutes of Q&A. And of course, um, both of our speakers will be available for comment following the call. Um, I'd like to pass the, the mic over to Ambassador Richardini with some opening remarks um, with sort of the big picture takeaways. Um, and, and we'll take it from there. Thank you very much, Samia, and good morning. Welcome. I know a number of the callers uh, personally. I'm delighted to, to have you with us. Uh, we're at the Atlantic Council. We're really just beginning to get involved in uh, uh, the Turkey business in terms of uh, analysis on Turkey's role in the region as well as its internal developments and how they impact those things. So uh, this is rather a first for us, and we're delighted to have Aaron with us. A couple overarching observations, and then I will... Um, Leave it to Aaron, who's uh, on the ground and um, a great analyst, to go over um, a lot of the internal uh, developments and uh, technicalities and, and the uh, implications of those. First, um, I think this is something that uh, Turks can be hugely proud of. Many are anxious at the results, but um, I was very pleased as a longtime observer of Turkey uh, to see the system really work to see the strength of uh, Turkish democracy, its institutions of democracy, and its civil society. Uh, I, I saw no uh, reports of major uh, violence or, or disorder. So it was a, a well-conducted, orderly uh, set of elections, which in Europe and the United States we take for granted. But south and east of Turkey is anything but typical. So I, I, this, again, suggests that... Um, it ought to be a boost for Turkish uh, prestige, I think, in, in the region. Secondly, um, and very importantly, I didn't see or haven't seen yet any allegations or evidence of uh, tampering. I've not heard Turks, uh, by and large, claim that the results were illegitimate. So that this was not only an orderly election without violence, but more importantly, something that's accepted by the Turkish people uh, by and large, as a legitimate outcome, I think it's also very meaningful. And a third sort of process point that struck me as we went into this is, apart from the, the constitutional and legal uh, mechanisms in place to uh, oversee or guarantee free and fair election processes, and indeed apart from the OSCE observers that were to be there, what uh, really was quite striking is civil society's own organization uh, through various movements, particularly one called Oi de Etesi, 
the vote and beyond in English, um, a real sui generis uh, mass movement to have poll watchers at each place uh, to show that the citizenry was watching. I, I think this all speaks to the health of, of Turkish society. Let me make one other kind of overarching uh, observation. In the past several years when I was serving there, since the uh, before the June 2011 elections and through the present, uh, one issue that Turks have debated in, in discussing the, the form of their democracy, the form of their republic, the health, the strength of their democracy, has been the question of checks and balances on state authority. And uh, that was at issue here in, as a subtext of the whole question of a presidential system. What I perceived as someone, a foreigner, who had the privilege of working closely with the Turkish state as well as its government and administration, that is to say the permanent national security apparatus and, um, and other elements of the state, as well as the elected politicians, is that there are checks and balances inherent in the state, and it functions fairly well for the conduct of, of certain state interests. On the other hand, there was a serious issue uh, in each of the political parties where um, checks and balances don't always... Uh, let market realities come to the leader. The HDP seems to have been an exception to that. Let me um, turn this over to Aaron at this point, and I'd like to come back after that, and we can discuss um, a question of whether this will signal a reversion to the mean in Turkish politics and foreign policies. Aaron, would you like to uh, continue? Sure, and, and thank you for this opportunity and thanks everybody for joining good morning for people on the east coast and good afternoon good evening for people on my time on european time um i i just to pick up on the on the issue of checks and balances i think the story running up before this election was very much pitted as whether the akp would get the amount of seats in the parliament necessary to be able to pass its own constitution out of the parliament um which would include the strengthened presidential system. And the concern was that the strengthened presidential system would lead towards a more centralized form of government absent of certain checks and balances. So the narrative was very much that the HDP, uh, you know, this, this, this Kurdish-rooted party, was the check on ultimately the president's uh, overarching ambitions. And it looks like you know, they acted in that way and that the, the, the Turkish society grew uncomfortable, um, A, with sort of the tone of the election as it moved forward, and perhaps um, uh, the accusation that, that Erdogan's actions on the campaign trail, particularly his very visible stance, being very much out in front and openly campaigning for the AKP, uh, perhaps in violation of the Constitution, was something that made a lot of people uncomfortable and perhaps drove voters away from the AKP, from the tent of the AKP, to two uh, parties, two main beneficiaries, the, the leftist, as I said, Kurdish HDP, uh, and the far-right nationalist MHP. And I think moving forward, the story will now be about not the Kurdish party any longer, the HDP, but the story now becomes about the MHP, uh, the far-right nationalist party, um, has an opportunity now um, because of the way the election folded out, the AKP did not get over 276 seats, so it cannot form a single government. It will need to form a coalition uh, if it attempts to govern, uh, and the most likely partner for that would be the MHP. Um, and alternatively, if the, if the AKP wants to remain outside of, of, of the formal coalition, if it wants to be a minority government and there is the 
a push towards a coalition between the CHP, the main opposition, the Republican People's Party, the HTP, and the MHP. Uh, one of the key stakeholders in that will also be the MHP. Uh, they have a stridently anti-Kurdish view, so they are uncomfortable working with the HDP. And so you have questions about whether or not the coalition is possible, um, either with the AKP and MHP or either through the AKP, or excuse me, either with the CHP, HDP, uh, and MHP. Uh, and so moving forward, I think for the next 45 days or within the next uh, three months or so, the focus in Turkey will be very much on these internal dynamics. Is there a pathway to a coalition? And if there's not a pathway to a coalition, are early elections uh, coming? And what will those early elections, uh, how will those early elections uh, play out? Will the presidential system continue to be on the table? Or will the AKP take this time to look inward, to reflect, and perhaps uh, modify elements of its political manifesto, its election manifesto, to try and capture uh, the large tent again to expand its voter base? Uh, with that, I think, Frank, I'll turn it back over to you. Okay, we're, we're just demuted. Um, I'll be glad to go in depth on any of these questions with um, uh, really wonderful people we've got calling in. Um, for me, uh, for all of us, I guess, the question is, how are the new Turkish politics going to play out on their foreign affairs? And as in many democracies, so too in Turkey, foreign affairs often have been a uh, a secondary uh, issue, except in times of foreign crises. Uh, and often, typically of uh, Turkey, left, right, and center, there's been an element of rallying public opinion against the foreigner, seeing foreign conspiracies, foreign enemies uh, of the moment, whether they be, uh, you know, Greeks or Armenians or, you know, suspicions even about uh, America as the ally. Um, or the Arab world, or whatever it is. That's, that's been a hearty perennial in, in Turkish politics. But some of that has become rather more extreme in uh, this campaign. I recall when I was in uh, office and had just arrived in 2011 speaking with the then Prime Minister uh, about the 2011 campaign, uh, then Prime Minister Erdogan uh, assured me that foreign policy was unlikely to be a big issue in the campaign. And then when I saw him just before the elections again, he said, you see, it hasn't been a very big uh, issue in our campaign. What my people really care about is economics. So uh, I imagine that with the Turkish people having voted for, uh, to accept the uncertainty that comes with coalition politics rather than the greater uh, stability, if you will, or certainty um, that comes with a single-party government, um, that there'll be more debate about foreign affairs issues as about all issues, slower decisions. Um, there may well be the xenophobic uh, notes that are always in Turkish politics, uh, but hopefully there'll be a reversion to the mean in most issues. And by that I mean going back to the outlooks that the Turkish people and Turkish governments have traditionally had on their internal affairs and on their foreign relations. That is to say, uh, an understanding in foreign relations that alliances with uh, the West uh, and relations, trade relations and, and defense relations with the West, the United States, NATO, European Union, really do matter, number one. Number two, that there is opportunity 
and uh, as well as risk in dealing with the, their neighborhood to the south and east. Um, perhaps number three, the, the mean in Turkish foreign affairs is best summed up by the, the famous Ataturk dictum that I've heard Turkish leaders quote uh, over and over again, and that includes uh, AKP leaders, and that is peace at home and peace in the world. Uh, that suggests a less uh, anti-foreigner tone in, in some of their uh, rhetoric. And with that, it should be a little bit easier for Turkey to um, uh, get back to a position of um, prestige and influence, I hope, in uh, regional affairs. Why don't I end there, and then let's just take uh, questions. And I know people will want to talk about other specific issues in greater depth. Yes, um, two things I'd note um, before we open up the floor to questions. Um, we will have a transcript available um, by before close of business today, um, as well as the audio. So uh, do do get in touch if you you need that for your deadline. Um, I'd like to open the floor to questions. So um, please use the the system to. Um, to uh, get in the queue. Thank you. At this time, we will open the floor for questions. If you would like to ask a question, please press the star key, followed by the one key on your touchtone phone now. Questions will be taken in the order in which they are received. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the question queue, please press star 2. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1 now. Our first question comes from Trudy Rubin with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks very much for doing this. Um, I, I'd like to ask what you think the impact of these elections will be on uh, Turkey's policy on Syria and uh, its handling of its uh, border issue, um, letting people across. And I'm also curious uh, what you think it's the election says about the Turkish public's view of the role of Islam in politics. Um, Trudy, why don't I take the first one, and I'll leave uh, Aaron to respond to the second one. Thank you. On, uh, on Syria, as, as you and, and all of us who follow Turkey well know, uh, the Turkish government's uh, strong anti-Assad uh, policy has been in, uh, uh, not very popular. It's been a subject of great debate in Turkey, as it is in the United States. It's, it's not an easy issue, and publics are uh, conflicted and confounded about what to do. And in Turkey's case, of course, they've got those couple million uh, refugees that are there. It, it's hard to say how this will break. Remember, it is, there is still a strong executive and strong machinery of state um, Turkey has a sort of world-class foreign ministry, defense establishment, intelligence establishment that bears the burden of uh, conducting these policies. They've, they've done a fine job in dealing with the refugees. I imagine that the main thrust of, of Turkish foreign policy, towards Syria in particular, is likely to continue, uh, partly for lack of really terrific alternatives from a Turkish perspective. But what I also imagine is that there are, coalition politics will mean there isn't going to be a free ride, that there's going to be much more open public debate uh, within the parliament. That can be a, a good thing, I believe. It makes policymaking harder, as in any democracy. But sure, 
in a certain sense because uh, issues get a, a, a fuller airing. So I, I tend to um, see this as a positive outcome in terms of Turkey's ability to uh, figure out its national interests with respect to Syria. And therefore, I think it's good for Turkey's collaboration with its allies, including the United States, on Syria as well as all else. I choose to be optimistic. Aaron? Uh, on Syria, just very quickly, um, if, if the electoral math shakes out to where you have 80 uh, HDP representatives in the parliament, and the HDP has been very outspoken against the AKP's policy in Syria, um, both with its handling of first uh, beginning in Kobani, um, and we're going to start seeing some problems creeping up uh, over the, uh, the Kurdish offensive uh, in northern Syria that's about to encroach upon certain areas along the Turkish border um, will certainly bring the issue back to the fore in Turkish politics. And I think the larger, more robust uh, number of seats that the, that, that the Kurds have in Parliament will make for these debates to be aired in Parliament. So I completely agree with that. Um, as for the role of Islam in, in, in politics, um, um, the AKP's campaign strategy very much focused um, on targeting um, a segment of the population, you know, pious, religiously-minded Kurds who had hitherto voted for the AKP but were waffling back and forth between the AKP and the HDP. Uh, and the Kurdish number, the HDP number, um, was 13%, so it passed the threshold by 3%. Um, a lot of that was, was, was uh, more liberal voters in Istanbul who, who gravitated towards the party. But uh, the gains were particularly in, in the southeast, the Kurdish-majority areas, um, were voters who had been attracted to the AKP because they were more pious chose a different political party because of their discomfort with certain policies in the party. So I think it's actually a victory for the, the role of Islam in politics. Um, you know, certainly is there, but it's not overarching. It does not drive dynamics in Turkey uh, more than sort of voter preferences and, and traditional things, local politics, that, w that we would associate in the United States. Thank you. Our next question comes from Roy Gutman with McClatchy. Uh, hi, uh, Frank. I'm glad you guys are doing this today. Um, I'm interested in uh, uh, Demirtas's uh, relation, his his uh, role in Kurdish uh, politics in uh, in Turkey, uh, his relationship with the PKK, uh, his role in last uh, autumn's uh, riots uh, uh, in Diyarbakir, where a lot of people died. Um, you know, uh, th those really were not, I guess, major issues in the campaign here. But uh, doesn't he have a fair amount of ba He's a very attractive and charismatic man, but he, he, I think he has a fair amount of baggage. Uh, how does he deal with it, and how does, in fact, the Turkish uh, uh, po uh, political system deal with it? Warren, I start, and again, I'll uh, let Aaron chime in if you like. Um, I've, uh, of course, uh, I met uh, Salahattin Demirtas uh, several times during my uh, tenure in Turkey. I have to say, have said I was very impressed with him then, and not just with him, but with his party as being qualitatively different from the other political parties in Turkey. They were less focused on the personalities of their leader. And within the HDP, I found more of a, a kind of coalition politics of their own, starting sort of by a self-imposed discipline of uh, requiring a woman 
to share office for each of the spots, not only that they stood for for election, say, as you know, mayors and co-mayors, but also within the party. Uh, that in itself it was profoundly, qualitatively different from other Turkish parties, and that imposed diversity um, brought about, I think, a more lively discussion within each party. Uh, and I found this even when I would meet with them. There would be several at once, and everybody felt free to speak. They didn't all defer to him, um, or for that matter, to the woman, uh, when I would meet with um, him and at that time, uh, uh, Gusan Hanum. Um, so it was, it, it was a really interesting party, and, and I think a lot of the credit for that has to go to not only the party members themselves and their leadership council, but um, to Salah Bey himself. In my um, outcall with him, uh, as I was taking leave last summer from my position in Turkey, I was uh, again impressed. He was um, looking ahead to the presidential campaign, and um, his comments were all very broad, uh, broad-minded, broadly uh, focused in terms of his uh, vision. It was not all about the Kurds. It was about what works, what is necessary for Turkish democracy to flourish, and he saw the Kurdish interests as succeeding or failing within a successful Turkish democracy. And that struck me as a, as a winning formula uh, that was quite compatible with the formula of the AKP uh, as it had been articulated before uh, this past year or two, when the AKP itself was working with the HDP and the BDP before that uh, to come to a solution of um, Kurdish, full Kurdish rights as Turkish citizens within uh, a unified uh, Turkish Republic. So I was impressed with, with his leadership. He's young, and uh, there seems to be a um, party uh, chemistry and a party culture that's set up for success, and I think that played out within this uh, campaign. Also, he's been very disciplined, and um, uh, Mr. Önder as well has been disciplined in calling on the uh, party members and its supporters not to react to provocations over this campaign period. So all these things, I have to say, positively impressed me. Aaron? Um, the, his Democrats' links to the PKK are, are undeniable, I mean, starting with family members and even his own story. Um, but I think one thing that you're seeing, and it's the ultimate irony of this election, if you're actually asking me, is that you know, he is an outgrowth of the AKP's peace process, and the HDP is actually where the peace process was going regardless. You know, so the peace process was frozen a couple of months ago for political reasons, but nevertheless it got pushed forward with the election of the HDP passing the 10% threshold. Um, if the Kurdish issue is going to be solved along the lines that the AKP had previously put forward um, and we had moving, uh, moving towards, um, the idea of a reformed or at least PKK-linked politician who has the right political agenda and who is not violating any laws um, certainly uh, should be welcomed uh, in the political space, particularly when they ran as, uh, a campaign as well as the HDP did and had a figure like Demirtas who had such a cross-cutting appeal um, uh, to, to both Turks and, and, and Kurds. Thank you. Our next question comes from Aya Yakli with Reuters. Hi. Um, it's Ayla, actually. Um, 
So my question uh, is to, to follow up on um, those comments about the peace process in particular and what concerns um, you might have about the peace process moving forward. You know, even if there is political will from different parties, um, is that enough? You know, who are, who are the actors now today? The deputy prime minister and his first comments, um, Oktoan, who's been instrumental in the peace process, very sarcastically dismissed the HCP's ability to push the process forward without a partner in the AKP. And I have a second question, and that has to do um, with Erdogan and how you sort of gauge the Erdogan factor. Do you imagine that he will now retreat to his palace, or is he actually now a more a, a potentially destabilizing figure for Turkey after um, his sort of hopes to change the constitution to appear to at best be, be on hold? Um, again, I'll jump in, Isla. Nice to hear your voice. Um, on the peace process, I, I didn't hear the uh, remarks uh, attributed to a, that you just cited from a deputy prime minister, but I, I think we do have to remember the AKP did win this election. They won 41%. They are the, the leading party as a result of this election. And they are also the first ruling party of Turkey to uh, seriously grapple with the Kurdish issue through the constitutional processes and political processes of the republic. And it was part of the AKP's winning formula in its first five or six elections where they've, where they've done so well. They've managed this really quite well. Uh, in fact, I don't see how the party, how the peace process can go forward unless the AKP uh, and HDP find some way of um, working together on this really important issue. As to President Erdogan, he is still the president for the next four years. He was just elected last year, as you know. Um, he has considerable uh, authorities as the president, and he's, uh, by all accounts, uh, exploited every one of them and even uh, gone beyond that to uh, use his personal uh, charisma and uh, political skills to, to get even more. So. Um, he clearly is going to be influential on this. And with respect to the Kurdish issue, as you just mentioned, if, he, if he's behind it um, and the HDP are willing to work with him, then I, uh, I think that whole process can move forward. It has suffered a lot, of course, through the past couple um, election campaigns. Aaron? Yeah, I, I, to my mind, the questions are actually linked. Um, Erdogan still... He, he will be the man who mandates Parliament to form a coalition. Um, so you know, he will have some influence, uh, if not a considerable amount of influence, on the way in which uh, the ruling coalition will be shaped. Uh, and if it's not shaped, um, he will certainly play a role um, in early elections as the AKP goes back. One thing that you, you did see, and, and one of the principal reasons that the AKP did bleed votes uh, in the southeast off to the HDP was its handling of the Kobani crisis. Um, and um, some of Erdogan's and Erdogan's uh, rhetoric, um, particularly after the disagreement about the ceasefire and the reading of the Ojalan letter at, at Norus, um, there's clearly a pathway back to the peace process. And the peace process benefits the AKP if they choose to go that route. And it's really the HDP's only route to, to, to really solidify itself as, as, as Turkey's fourth largest party. 
Um, but I think a lot of it will depend on the outcome of the next 45, once these things get started, well, the next 45 days and perhaps the early election. So you could see the peace process being put on hold uh, up until uh, the, the, the future trajectory of, of Turkish politics are decided upon either through a coalition government or early election. Thank you. Our next question comes from Tolga Tanis with Hurriyet. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot for this, and uh, it's good to hear you from, from you, Erin, as well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Frank, I have a question for you. Uh, since you worked in Turkey in, in the 90s, and uh, since you experienced the coalition government times in Turkey, um, how would you characterize the differences of the uh, current situation in Turkey in terms of being prepared for a coalition government? I mean, the vulnerabilities in terms of economic stability or compromised culture. How would you define the differences of current Turkey from the 90s in terms of the coalition government? And uh, is it ready, Turkey, for a coalition government? Or do we expect any crisis, any early elections? Uh, can I get your reception on this? Thank um, Thank you, Tolga. Good um, to hear your voice. I hope we might be able to speak some more uh, later. Um, I think Turkey, today's Turkey is far, far beyond uh, the Turkey of the 1990s by any measure, never mind the economic measures, but politically, it's a far more mature uh, democracy and republic. Uh, the role of the military, starting just with the role of the military in governance, they are now out of governance and out of politics quite definitively in a way that nobody expects them uh, to come back to. That's a good thing. Um, Despite the stresses of the, the issues here now, real constitutional identity issues, we've seen through these elections that the Turkish people were able to debate them, vote on them, and now, and now one way or another, uh, that vote is going to play out in coalition politics. And Turks, evidently, 60% or 59%, were comfortable enough to go back to a coalition arrangement. And everybody knows that does bring uncertainty, and uncertainty can move into instability. But the Turkey I experienced in the past uh, four years of, of service before I left last summer is one that seemed to be able to deal uh, without violence with fundamental problems like the rights of citizens, the rights of all citizens, including the Kurds, um, I, other minority identities, the uh, Alevis, the uh, Armenians, um, questions like, you know, the uh, restoration of property to the uh, very, very small uh, Christian minorities. These are things that the republic uh, as a state and then the uh, parliament and the political machinery as an administration were able to deal with um, overtly and successfully. So I'm very confident that this, um, this will, in a deeper sense, lead to further maturation of Turkish um, politics and uh, strengthening of the republic. I, I'm uh, even more optimistic about Turkey. I'm not anxious at all that coalition politics are going to lead to uh, some kind of weakening of Turkey or its uh, influence or its way ahead. The politics will be messy and noisy. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's in, there are difficult economic issues, difficult regional issues, but I think the Republic is well poised now to, um, as well poised as ever to deal with them, much better than the 90s. 
nothing to add on my end. Okay. I think we've uh, reached the end of our time. Yeah. Anna? Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for joining, and please do feel free to get in touch uh, with me uh, with any follow-up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, and um, do do check uh, our blogs, Nina Source and New Atlantis, um, both of which feature uh, quite a bit of analysis and coverage of the Turkish elections.